like to invite you to turn to Psalm 119 this morning. Psalm 119, please. If you'd turn there. Uh, we'll get uh, precise details on, on Dr. Towns' funeral to you, but the plan is for it to be Saturday here, uh, probably early afternoon on Saturday. So just so you can be uh, planning ahead for that. There'll be visitation uh, prior to the service with the family, and then the service will probably be early afternoon. Uh, we'll get those details confirmed for you. Now we start each uh, year with prayer week, and over the last few years, uh, I've sort of extended in January, maybe call it devotion month or something like that, uh, to focus on the word and prayer in our lives because they're so essential uh, for us as believers. Uh, and uh, it's easy to drift off of those basics. Uh, I was gone uh, last weekend to speak at a conference down in Houston. The theme of the conference was One Ambition, uh, based off of 2 Corinthians 5.9, ambition to be pleasing to him, but then there was sort of a sub-theme of simplicity, uh, that, that really our ambition uh, should be to please Christ. And part of that is by uh, adopting the simplicity the Scripture calls to us about our lives. And so all the conference speakers were taking uh, some aspect of that. My, uh, my focal point was just from a single text, 2 Corinthians 3.18, on the simplicity of sanctification. Our ambition is to be like Christ, and, and the scriptures are really pretty simple about how that's done. And, and a part of what I wanted to emphasize in that conference, uh, and, and sort of uh, has been in my mind a lot over the last couple of weeks, is that we tend to complicate the Christian life. I mean, people, uh, I mean, I think sometimes they mean well, sometimes I think it's uh, an aspect of our pride is that people want to give you like the hidden secret that everybody else has missed, right? And so they've got some spin or some angle on what it means. And, and because uh, sometimes we think simple means easy, but that's not the, the case. Something that's simple can still be pretty hard, right? I mean, if I put a bar on this platform with 400 pounds on it, and all you have to do is go straight up with it, it's a pretty simple task, right? You're just moving it in one direction, but it wouldn't be an easy task, right? There'd only be a couple of us that could do it in here. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> all right? Right, so it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be complex. It wouldn't be complicated, right? It would be simple. Might be hard, but a simple thing. And, and growth in the Christian life is like that. It's actually simple. It's not complicated. You don't have to have some, some complex algorithm figured out. You don't have to have uh, the secret formula for these five steps, and then you'll get there. Or have some, some mystery that has... Uh, been brought to you by a burst of enlightenment that, that puts you all of a sudden up to another level spiritually. It, it's not like that. There, there is an element of pride that people like to act like they've figured out something nobody else has figured out. Sometimes it's a pride that's like, I'm going to be the guru who can give you the secret steps to be a growing Christian or to a holy life or to power, right? And, and, and it, it always seems to cycle. You know, I'm, I'm getting old enough at this point where you've got multiple decades of watching these cycles happen, right? And one of the cycles that, that comes is people all of a sudden dipping back into the medieval mystics, and, and taking us on these rides of really sort of weird things and recommending to us things written by people tucked away in monasteries somewhere who figured out what it meant to be spiritual, right? And, and, and what it always does, it, it tends to take Christians on the merry-go-round. Right? They hop on and ride around. They find themselves in the exact same spot they were. So now they look for the next thing to take them around. 
Because we always are looking for some kind of a quick fix, some type of secret formula, some special technique, some ministry gadget or gimmick that's going to work. And it has never been that way. That's not the way God, God doesn't play games with us. He actually has, been, has given us a pretty straightforward, simple reality about how we grow in Christ. And, and uh, it's deposited all through the Word. In the book of Psalms, there's a, a subset of Psalms called the Wisdom Psalms that teach us how to live a life of wisdom. The longest of those, it's not surprising, this is the longest psalm of all, is Psalm 119. And the focal point of that is God's Word. That it's the Word of God that produces a life of wisdom. And in this particular section of the psalm we're going to look at, it's pretty clear what it's about because the writer sort of tips us right off. All right, so let's read beginning in verse 9 and go to verse 16 this morning. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. You're probably familiar with the fact that Psalm 119 has sections of eight verses that all begin with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So this is the second one. That's why some of your translations have the word Beth or Beth, because that's the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And that means every verse in this section begins with that letter. So it's a fascinating poem, an acrostic that's designed to teach us the, the centrality of the word probably set up this way for ease of memory and, and for them being able to do what this psalm talks about, to hide it in their hearts so that it would control them. Verse 9 really sort of sets the topic by this question, how can a young man keep his way pure? And, and I don't think there's actually a second verse, how can an old man? And a third verse, how can a young woman? And how can an old woman? I, I know there are none of those here, but the reality of it is, okay, it's, it's simply the psalmist describing how his life can be pure. And the answer at the end of verse 9 is by keeping it according to your word. So if I took the question and answer and just turned it into a statement, it would be something like this. God's word is the path to a pure life. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. So God's word is the path to a pure life. If we want to have a life that reflects the character of God, then it is through the word that that will take place. You can see the obvious emphasis on it because every verse uses some synonym of God's word. Look at verse 9 is the word word. Verse 10, commandments. Verse 11, your word. Verse 12, statutes. Verse 13, ordinances. 14, testimonies. 15, precepts. 16 has your statutes and word. So those are all ways in which God's word or names or labels or descriptions of God's word, and, and because of the richness of God's word, the diversity of the kind of information that is in God's word, right? We have statutes or guidelines, commands, we have precepts, we have teaching, instruction. The, 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 the vast treasure of God's word is the key to living the life that God desires for us. So I want us to just walk through, think about the text so we understand it. 
and then encourage us to, to apply it to our lives. The foundational thing we have to see in this, though, is that there must be a commitment to the Lord if the Word is going to do this work. Notice in verse 10, he says, With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. So the, the heart that is below the seeking of God's word is a heart of commitment to the Lord. The positive side of it is a, to cultivate a growing relationship and closeness to him. Look at the language in verse 10. With all my heart, I have sought you. Okay, it's active. I have sought you. All right, so, so the psalmist is expressing, expressing his heart about the fact that he was active in seeking the Lord. It wasn't a passivity. It wasn't something that just sort of happened to him as he was floating along the Israelite pathways, but that he was seeking God, seeking the Lord. He was pursuing him. And notice the words at the beginning of the verse, with all my heart I have sought you. So there is a, a kind of devotedness to it. You know, you know this, the heart, uh, the heart biblically is larger a concept than in our, our day. Ours tends to be more the emotional side of it. Uh, but the reality in the scriptures, the heart is the center of the human personality. It is, it's the control center. It is where we think. Right? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We, we can resolve or purpose. Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself, so the heart isn't just subject to winds that blow it around or emotions that carry it. It actually can resolve. Right? It has the capacity to choose. Right? It, it can be used as a synonym of the conscience. David when he uh, snuck into the cave with Saul and cut off a part of his garment, it says his heart smote him. That is, he was under conviction because of what he had done. Right? So the heart is the center of our lives. And here the psalmist is saying, with all of that, I've sought you. Right? He was totally in. He was fully committed to seeking the Lord. His heart was turned after God. And, and that's why the word will work in this way. But also don't miss the last word of that first sentence in verse 10. With all my heart, I have sought you. You. All right? And I, and I don't, I, I think sometimes we can overplay this, but I think we can also underplay it. Right? I, you recognize this morning, right, that there are people who know the content of the Bible better than most of the people in this room. Right? There are men who are parked in liberal divinity schools who have spent their entire lives studying the content of Scripture. They know what it says, and they are unaffected by it. Because they have taken this precious word from God and turned it into merely a source book of, of information and knowledge. Rather than the revelation of God. Right? They, they actually don't read the word to know God. They don't study the word to know God. They're not going into the Word to pursue Him, to know who He is and have a relationship with Him. They really look at the book just like they would any other ancient book, and they just read it and study it and collect information about it. They can answer all kinds of questions about the data, but they do not know the author. They have not sought him. And you need to understand that what the writer here of Scripture is saying is that his relationship with the Word is not separated from God, but is actually joined to his pursuit of God. 
He wants to know the Lord. And you know the Lord through his word. Right, So we don't pit them against each other like sometimes it's common in our day. It's like, well, you know, I don't want to worship my Bible. I want to worship Jesus as if you know Jesus without your Bible. Right, You don't know anything about Jesus other than what's revealed in this book. Okay, You can never put this book against God or separate it from God. It is the way in which God has made himself known to you. But it is possible for you to reduce this book to something lifeless by just accumulating data and information. You might be able to win the Bible trivia contest and not actually know God. I mean, the most educated, scripturally people in Jesus' day rejected him. Right? They said they had a high view of the word. And Jesus had to stop and say, listen, you search the scriptures, you search them because they speak of me. Right? If you really want to understand what this is about, Jesus says, it's talking about me. And not in some kind of crazy, uh, you know, Captain Crunch decoder lens way. It's as simple, right, as simple as what Jesus does in that book of John. John chapter 1, who created everything? The Word. You know who the Word is? Jesus. In John chapter 12, Isaiah saw the Lord's glory in Isaiah chapter 6. You know what John 12 tells us? He was seeing the Son of God, right? What what God revealed of himself in Isaiah chapter 6, John chapter 12 says, was the Son of God. So you read Isaiah 6, there's Jesus. When John is writing and Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and he says, Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. How could Abraham have seen it? He said, before Abraham was, I am. What Jesus is saying there is, the one Abraham worshipped was me. I am the God of the Old Testament. Right? And Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right, so, so when we go to the Word, we're not going to the Word like some, some separated study apart from God. We're not going to the Word as if it's just a book of information, a, a, a set of rules for us to live by. All of those things are true, but they're wrapped up in our relationship with God. We're seeking God. With my whole heart, I have sought you. That's got to be the commitment in our lives. Because if not, look at the danger in verse 11. I'm sorry, second part of verse 10. All right, the danger is that we might wander from him. Do not let me wander from your commandments. I mean, we sing this sometimes, right? Prone to wander. How, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart and seal it, right? Because the reality of it is in a world full of temptation and distraction and a heart that is not yet perfect, we still struggle with the flesh. It is easy for us to take our eye off the path. It's easy to get distracted by something off to the side. And you know what happens when we start to turn our gaze away, right? Every wife in here knows because she's yelled at her husband a million times, get back on the road, right? Because you're looking around and all of a sudden the car starts to follow where you're looking. That happens in our heart too. We all of a sudden start to look. We start to think about. We start to get drawn away from the pathway And unless we're actively attentive 
to keep our eyes focused where they're supposed to be and keep our heart yielded to God. The word, the word is the compass that will keep us on that path, but, but we're prone to wander. Right? So, I mean, that's, I, I imagine that's not a news flash. Right. And honestly, that's what I, that's why at the beginning of the year, I tend to focus on these things because I, I think we can, uh, we can start to get cluttered. We can start to get distracted. We can start to just sort of take for granted certain spiritual things. And before long, we're not giving them the attention and focus. And we find ourselves drifting off path. And here's the, Here's the, uh, the sinister way in which the devil works through that, right? Once we start to find ourselves drifting off path, we foolishly tend to go, well, all right. Maybe some other time I'll straighten it out. Like, like as if you, you know, I woke up one time years, years ago, I was driving. A friend and I were driving from L.A. to Detroit. We left on Wednesday afternoon and pulled into my parents' house on Friday evening. So we were hauling. And we were upset because we were supposed to be on a like a six-week six week, six week trip, and a week and a half into it, he got homesick for his girlfriend and said, take me to the airport. And I said, call a cab. I'm not going to do that. So we drove from L.A. to Detroit and never talked to each other, really. He would sleep, I'd drive, I'd drive, he'd sleep. And, and finally, in the middle of Missouri, in the middle of the night, I woke up going off the road. Now, what do you think I did? Right after, after I like, had the heart attack, I got back on the road. I didn't go, well, I'm going off the road, I may as well just stick with it. Right? Nobody would do that, except for spiritual things. Eh, I got off the path. I may as well just ride it out for a while. Now, the minute you realize you're off the road, you should run back to the road. Right? The, the minute you start to drift, you should awaken. Right? And just so you know, so I pulled into the next gas station and I slept on the ground because we had a very small car and it was my turn to sleep on the ground. And because I wasn't going to kill us because I couldn't drive. Right. But the reality of it is spiritually too often we start to wander and then we just go, well, here I go again. I may as well just wander. When in fact, the moment we became aware of the fact that we were drifting, we should have awakened to it and said, I need to get back on the road because the only way I will keep my path pure is if I keep following God's word. Right? I cannot afford to drift. So the psalmist is saying, listen, Lord, please do not let me wander. I hope that's a prayer of your heart regularly. Lord, please don't let me wander from your commandments. Keep me sensitive Right? You know, the change in the surface awakened me to the fact that I was going off the road. Spiritually, what we ought to want to have is a, a bunch of those bumper strips on the sides of our lives. So if we start to drift out of the lane, it'll wake us back up. Right? We should be praying for God to put good guardrails there, to put good bumpers to keep us from going off so that we can stay on the path that God wants us to stay on. And really at the heart of this commitment has to be a commitment to God. I sought you. I sought you. And we just say this uh, because it, obviously this is written inside the context of, of God's Covenant people, Israel, it's being written by someone who has a relationship with God of faith, 
because it's always been by faith. God had made promises to his people, and this writer had believed those promises, so he was, in fact, uh, in a right relationship with the true and living God because God had provided for him. So so I, everything I'm saying here this morning presupposes that context. If you're here this morning and you have never come to put your trust in Jesus Christ, right? Maybe, maybe you come to church because you know some things in your life have to change. I mean, I, that's not an uncommon thing. When, when we're hitting the, you know, the, the, the rumble strips on the side of our lives, we start to look for answers. And sometimes people start to look for those answers in, in church. And that's good if, as long as that church doesn't tell you that the answer is in church. Because the answer isn't in a church. It's in a Savior. It's in the God who made you, who has the right to call the shots in your life, but you, like I, have rebelled against him and turned away and said, no, we want to be king. We want to do our own thing. And, and the Bible describes that as sin, and the consequences of that is to put ourselves in rebellion against God and therefore to come under his judgment. And a part of the things you experience in life, which evidence to you that something's not right, is precisely the kindness of God to bring you to repentance, to show you that life cannot be lived properly apart from him. That he is the one who understands everything, has given us the wisdom we need to live, but it comes to us when we are willing to humble ourselves before him. To bend our knee in submission, confess our rebellion and sin against him, and seek cleansing and forgiveness from him. So I would not want to give you the impression that you just sort of take the Bible, add it to your life, and things will go better. Right? Because the Bible is not a self-help book. Right? It's not, you don't, you don't like walk up to the Bible like you do all the self-help writers that you could find in a bookstore. This is actually a book that confronts us with our sin and our rebellion against God, offers to us forgiveness and, in fact, a new heart so that we can seek God. And if you don't have that this morning, that's what you desperately need. You need to come to know God, and you know God through faith in His Son that acknowledges that he's the only one in whom you can have hope and life, right? That he is the savior that you need. And we all who have trusted in him rejoice in this morning that he has given us life so that we can follow the pathway of God. Now notice what the text says about, about how the word will actually do this kind of work in us. We have to have our attention focused on it. I'm going to use three words to try and sort of capture what I think is wrapped up in this psalm. The first is internalization, right? The word is not something outside of us that becomes something inside of us. Notice in verse 11, he says this, your word I have treasured in my heart. Notice down in verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. That's something inside. Verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. So, so all of these things are reflecting the work of God in the heart. All right, and, and this, this, this probably is like an obvious point, but one that sometimes we, we need to remind ourselves, okay? We, we must first know what the Bible says before it will actually exercise any control over us. Right? That's why he's treasuring it in his heart. That's why he's meditating on it. The word must be in us. 
And, and sometimes it, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's sort of, you know, just mystifying how, how people will neglect God's word while somehow thinking God's word will then control their lives. As if uh, what happens is some kind of a miracle. I'm wandering around in my life and all of a sudden God sort of somehow puts a, a piece of his word in my head that I've never seen. Or all of a sudden it just like pops in. It's like, you know, like, like one of those little bubbles in a cartoon or something. Boom, there's the word. That's, that's not the way it works. Right? It is actually, it has to be going into me. I have to know what it says. And the only way I'm going to know what it says is the way I know anything. Right? I mean, it, uh, teachers have this experience quite regularly with students that they never look at their notes, they never read their books, and hope they'll do okay on the test. Right? But most of us know that's just not the way it works. We actually have to take the word in. So if you really want to be able to follow God's pathway, then you have to be in the word, and you have to be under the word. By in the Word, I mean you should be reading and studying it. You can listen to it, right? I mean, what an incredible thing in our day that we have so much access to the Word of God. I mean, I, I, I mean, I turn around this, you know, because I each year I try to read a different translation for my devotion just to, uh, just to, you know, get me to think and pay attention. So, you know, this morning I turned around and I set the one down with my journal and I set it into a shelf that probably has 15 Bibles in it. I mean, they're just piled there, Bibles. Right? I mean, can you imagine how many people in the history of Christianity would just have absolutely have their mind blown by that fact? Because they had no copy of the Bible. The only place they could hear the Bible was when they'd gather together and somebody would read the one copy they had and for years it was in a different language. Right? Every English speaker would show up to listen to somebody read it in Latin. And you and I have Bibles everywhere. And in fact, you could pull up your phone and you could, you could find another 20 translations in two seconds. And yet, do we read it? You may go, well, I don't read well. Well, you know what you can do? You can hit that little speaker button and someone will read it to you. And they read well, usually. Okay, so you can hear it read to you. You, 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 you are not blocked from access to getting God's word into your heart. Right? And you, you, the only thing that stands between you and that is your desire and discipline. It really is. And I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to be honest with us. Right? There, there are a lot of things you did today already that are less important than you reading God's Word. And I say that on the basis of the words of Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I see you know what's more important than your breakfast? The Word of God. You know what's more important than finding out what happened last night after you went to bed? The Word of God. You know what will be more important than anything else you start your day tomorrow with? The Word of God. We have to get it into us if we're going to actually live it out. 
And, and, and God's given us an incredible privilege to be under the teaching of word. There's lots of bad teaching, but there's lots of good teaching. Right? There's, 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 it's piled up. I mean, there's, there's just such an avalanche of opportunity for you to be taught God's word and to weave that into the fabric of your life so that you know what God says and you understand it. And we need to read it better than sometimes we've been taught to read it. And that's why I think sometimes people are getting frustrated about it. Uh, I hope this isn't the case in your heart, but, but sometimes people have been taught to read the Bible in a way that's very different than anything else we read. I mean, you did not, nobody probably picked up, anybody pick up a newspaper this morning? I just started to say, you didn't pick up the newspaper, right? But does anybody pick up newspapers anymore, right? You did not click on that article about the news this morning and go, I'm going to start reading in the first paragraph and I'm going to read until I get a blessing. I'm going to read until something pops out at me. Oh, hey, there's a cool word. I'm going to, I'm going to think about that word now. You don't read anything like that. Why would you read your Bible like that? When did the Bible become some kind of sanctified Ouija board that we read it and then get a hidden message from it? Or or act like it's God's word only at the point where I get some kind of buzz from it. That's not that's not how you read something to understand what somebody wrote. That's not the way you read any important communication. It's not certainly how you would read any kind of letter from somebody that you really wanted to know them and understand them. You would read it and read it like it was written. And sometimes that means we're going to read it and it's not going to send warm chills down our spine. Right? Sometimes you're going to have to stop and think. So what was the point of all this? Because God had a point. I mean, he wasn't in heaven going, I'm going to write something that they'll just never be able to figure out what it's for. I'm just going to, it's going to be like a jumbled message and, and they'll spend all their time trying to figure it out, but it just doesn't mean anything. That's not the way God communicated. Right? And, and a part of it is we've got to just recognize that reading the Bible to understand what God has said to us is actually a valuable process all in its own. And sometimes the earlier on we are in that process, maybe it might be a little more difficult because you don't know the whole thing, right? I mean, just the other day I'm reading and I'm reading in Exodus about God telling Moses that whenever we do a census, you have to give an offering tied to it. If not, there will be a plague. And all of a sudden I'm going, yeah, that explains a lot about what happened to David. Because David did a a census without any offering, and God sent a plague. You know what David was doing? He was violating the law of God. And, and, and they all knew that, so when we read that in Samuel, and all of a sudden God hits them with this plague, you're like, why is God doing this? Well, it's because a little earlier in the book, he told you. Right? So sometimes it just takes, it takes a lot of time reading and reading and appreciating, seeing how it fits together. And the more you start to see how it fits together, the more it stabilizes and strengthens and builds the fabric into your life. Right? At this point, right? At, at this point in your Christian life, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be reading the Bible like you don't know the Lord. But sometimes we're just not getting into it and not committing ourselves to it. We need to read it in a way that we're trying to understand what God says. So, so, so sometimes rather than having it be a speed race, right? Sometimes it would be good to just like have a piece of paper or a journal and a pencil. And, and when you finish reading a section, just 
stop and go, so what was the big truth here? What what was the point that God was making? What can I learn about my God from this? How can I understand something about his will? Right, Because all of Scripture is really, really revealing to you the glory of the Lord, and so we should be reading it, looking for it, and understanding it, coming to know him better. Right? And that gives us purpose and clarity when we read it. God had a reason for writing it. What is it? Look for it. It's not always going to be easy. I mean, sometimes, you know, you're plowing through genealogies and, and it's not fun. But even there, you know, you can step back and you can see in this the faithful hand of God because every list of all those people springs out of a promise made back in Genesis chapter 12 that God would bless Abraham and give him a seed that couldn't be numbered, right? And, and so for Israel, the listing out of those names was the testimony of the faithfulness of God to carry out his promises. So, you know, I could step back after 40, you know, 45 begats and go, God, thank you for being a faithful God. Thank you that you have proved yourself true to your promises. Right? I can see the hand of God in that. I should see the hand of God in that. So, so we have to have knowledge of the word. And then notice I, said, I pointed out in verse 15, you know, meditate on the precepts and on God's ways. Right? I'll regard your ways. So there needs to be a reflection on it. All right? Reflect on the truth. Is there something in this text that helps me understand what God is like or what God wants for his people? Is there something for which I can give him thanks? I've shared this before. I mean, I, uh, I mean, I, 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 I like to have little things that keep me on track because I'm prone, my mind can go, right? So, so what I've used for the last couple of years, and I think I mentioned it in, Two years ago in prayer week is, is a modification of what Martin Luther used to do. So I read the scriptures, and then in my journal I write the word truth, and I provide a summary of it, or something that, that, that stood out to me as I was reading it, because I'm going through the Bible in a year. It's usually two, three chapters, so it's not like I'm trying to do the whole thing. It's usually some portion of it that, that I, I take note of, and I jot that down, and then I turn it upward. Something about worshiping and thanking God based on that truth. And then I turn it inward. There's something about my heart and my life that, that I can talk to God about and recognize the significance of this for my life. And then I turn it outward. Where, where, where should this go and how can I pray for others and move, right? So, so to me, it's, it's really, it just keeps me very focused, right? Cause, cause I'm like you. At the beginning of the day, I'm starting to think about everything I gotta get done. So I need something to, to lock me in. So I know exactly what I'm gonna read, right? I know, I know exactly what this, the text, the passage for today was. All I do is open up the journal, look at the list. There it is. Open my Bible, read it. When I finish reading it, then simply take time. What's the truth here? How can I praise God? How can I reflect on what this means for me in terms of if there's anything to confess or something I need to, to, to pursue in obedience and then outward, right? So all that process is doing, and you can use whatever process you want. I don't really care. But what it's doing is it's slowing me down to get me to think about what I just read, to reflect on it, to think about it, to meditate on it, to delight in it, right? Because that's what the text is calling. And, and if I'm, if I'm, I mean, there are times, there are times obviously when life is busy and it's running and it's, you know, I read the passage and I got to get going. Okay. But if it starts to be the pattern, I, here's what I would say, and, and you listen in your heart to this, 
right? When it starts to be, I'm just trying to get this done, it, it, it then drifts to not getting done because you're not getting anything out of it, right? So you've got a lot of things to do and you go, okay, I got to read my Bible. And pretty soon you don't do it because you're not actually investing in it. You're not actually going to this like a relationship in which you want to hear from God and you want to grow in your relationship with God. Right? I mean, if, uh, if my wife and I, Lord willing, will be married 38 years in a couple of weeks, right? So, so we've talked a lot over 38 years, right? I, I'm really, we're not really like going back and rehearsing the first conversation we had every time we, we talk, right? We've been building on that for all these years. And, and, and I pretty much think everybody in here knows how it would go if I treated it like, well, I know I need to talk to my wife every day, so let's sit down and get this over with. All right, you got, you got five minutes, start talking. Okay, time up, and I'm off. Good marriage? Would I have a flat spot on this side of my head? <laughs> right? Might be both sides. Right, that you wouldn't consider that a relationship, right? It 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 requires it requires time. It requires interaction. It requires interest. Right, so why do we why do we reduce our handling of the Bible to something different than that? Isn't this God speaking me to, to me through his word? And me, if I want to know him and understand him and, and live rightly before him, don't I have to have a heart that wants to not just hear what he said, but think about it, think about the ramifications of it, go, ah, boy, if that's true, then I probably need to stop doing this because that's probably not a good move, right? It, it's actually drawing me into fellowship and a relationship with God. And then I need to put it into practice. Notice at the end of verse 9, keeping it according to your word. That's application. Where does this show up in my life? In what ways am I supposed to change because of this? Or what might be going on in my life that's contrary to this right now? What's, what's in my thinking that makes it hard for me to respond like this? Right? I mean, you just, you see it over and over again in scriptures in the way God is faithful to his people on, in the way that uh, some of his people are unfaithful to him and others of his people are faithful to him in the wisdom of what he says. There's all kinds of things that are at work in our hearts to show us what we need to think and believe and to confront the things that we are thinking wrongly. Because those need to change and they need to be transformed by the word of God. So there has to be an internalization process. But notice also, look at verse 13. There's a communication process going on. With my lips, I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I mean, one of the best ways for us to, to, I think, really have God's word take and shape our hearts is when we actually can take the truth that's there and tell it, communicate it, express that truth. Right? That's one of the, the, the process by which we, we actually become more convinced of it is when we take the truth, right? We take the truth and we, we understand it and we shape it into something teachable or tellable. Right? It's actually a truth we can communicate to somebody else actually has passed through our heart at that point. 
right? Because we go from sort of a fuzzy idea to getting it into focus, and therefore we benefit from it. And then actually as we share it with somebody else, it reinforces that truth in our heart. It helps us see the, the, the glory of it and the significance of it. And, and, you know, you don't have to have a formal slot to do that, right? Again, we've got, we live in an incredible day, right? I mean, you, you know, if you, if you lived out in a village somewhere and the nearest house was like a mile away and you discovered some great truth and you had no way to communicate to them, right? You, you didn't have a phone, you didn't have any electronic communication, you'd have to walk over and tell them. Nowadays, and obviously there's lots of downsides to this, but, but nowadays you can share the truth with somebody so easily. Right? You can pick up the phone and just say, hey, let me, let, me, let me share something I saw in the Word today. If you don't want to talk to them, you can actually like text them a truth. Look at this, look at this verse of Scripture. Send them an email. Right? There's all kinds of ways that you could share the Word of God with people. You can, you can talk with them about it and, and, and have it be an encouragement to them as well as something that helps you grow. Notice verse 14 and 16. There's a third celebration of God's truth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. 16, I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. I think worship in response to the word is a key to real and lasting change. You've heard me use the phrase over the years that actually is borrowed from John Piper. And I first time I used it, I said it. I'll say it now so you don't think it's my creation. Right? He talks about the role of the word of God in worship. And sometimes what we tend to do is uh, we tend to think like this, right? So we worshiped and now I'm preaching. Okay, but preaching is a part of the worship, right? Because preaching is actually when God is speaking to us through his word and our response to the word is an act of worship. He uses the phrase glad submission to God's word, right? We're we're actually doing what this text says here. We're rejoicing in the way of his testimonies. We're delighting in his statutes. That's worship. Right, so a part of what we need to do is cultivate a heart that when we read the word or we study the word and we find truth here is that we pull it out and we delight in it. We rejoice in it. We worship God because of it. That's why that, that's why that upward line is so important. Right? I found the truth. Now I need to talk to God about that truth. Lord, thank you for being a faithful God. Lord, thank you for whatever you saw in the text. You are worthy of worship. Because you know what happens when we stop and we do that? That's pressing the truth down into our heart. Right? Because we're not wanting to just have a, 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 an assent to the truth that is only mental. We are actually wanting to seek God with our whole heart, our affections oriented at God. We are committed to Him. And that means there has to be some delight and rejoicing in the truth. We're all different, right? Some of us are just absolutely thrilled with rejoicing and barely move a face muscle. Right? We're just, we're quieter, we're different, like that's fine. But there still needs to be some disposition of your heart that rejoices in this. This is the Word of God. The Maker of heaven and earth has spoken to me through His Word. He's given me the answers I need, the strength I need, the hope I need. It gives encouragement. How can I receive that without joy? Right? I have to delight and rejoice over what God's done, and it should cause that in my heart. So we speak of those wisdoms. And 
I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take a, a quick sideline here. All right. And I, I know that when I do this kind of thing, it could be the kind of thing that I'm not going to answer all your questions or I may just make you mad. So get ready. All right. But I seriously wonder if the dominance, if the dominance in our lives of, of, and I'm going to just use contemporary Christian music because that's most of the stuff that's being recorded and played, right? If that's actually causing us to have a lack of joy over the written word, right? Because I can, I can pop in a CD, I can download a song, and I get, I get a, like an adrenaline rush of intensity. Right, because they've got an entire perfected sound system and everything inside of it to uh, uh, to avalanche my senses. Right, I mean it's coming at me. So, so when I talk about rejoicing over the word, some of you may think, "Oh, yeah, I love to worship God." And here's what you mean by: I'm going to put on my favorite song and I'm going to listen to it, and boy, it just lifts my spirits and causes me to be, you know be worshipful. And we've got this avalanche of sound and energy. Everything, everything that comes with that. And then we just pick up a book and read it. And it can be sort of bland. Because we've been Come so conditioned to all of the external stimuli that the process of reading and thinking and understanding and delighting in has become dull, right? Because we've got ourselves, we've gotten ourselves addicted to the kind of infusion that comes from it. Right? And so here's what I'd say is test yourself. Right? If you can't find joy apart from the external props of that kind of stuff, maybe you should wean yourself back a little bit. Maybe you should dial it back to, hey, I don't, I, I, I would just like to be alone with the Lord. Here's his word. I want him to talk to me through the word. I want to hear his voice in the scriptures. I want to know him. Right? Because I think a lot of contemporary Christianity just rides the roller coaster of emotion musically. I mean, you can have massive gatherings of Christians caught up in some kind of ecstatic moment of worship powered by bands that is not changing lives. They're not actually living a more holy and godly life. If you chart up the lifestyles, they're not much different. Right? They, they actually have the same kinds of things happening among those who don't know the Lord. And I would suggest to you that that ought to, that should cause us like to scratch our heads and go, why is that? Shouldn't we be changed? Shouldn't the word be changing us? And maybe we need to shift a little bit away from the emotional adrenaline rush to the careful, deliberate diet of God's word that we're feeding on what God says because we want to know him and we want to know him through the word he's written. So, so let me ask you, will you follow God's path this year? Right? If you want to have a pure life, then God's word is the path to follow. Are you going to be in the word? Are you going to be under the word? Read it. Write out what its truth is. Find that. 
Let me encourage you to adopt a reading plan because most of us stumble because of the lack of discipline on this point, right? We know we should read the Bible and then we waste five minutes trying to figure out what we're supposed to read. Or we go to the exact same places, right? Oh, I'm going to go read some Psalms. Or I'm going to do this. And so what we do is we limit our appetite to the things that we're most familiar with rather than saying, you know what, I need to get in the Word and trust God that He's going to give me what I need in the Word. I'm going to let Him set the agenda. Okay, and, and it doesn't have to be cover to cover. I think cover to cover is great, right? But, but you know, you could, they've got, I mean, you've got all kinds of access to stuff, right? You got the, the, you know, the, through the New Testament in a year, right? And all you have to do is, hey, here's today. It's January 29th. Here's the passage I have to read. All right? There's all kinds of ways, but find some way to have a disciplined approach to reading the word this year. Make sure it's something that you can do, right? So you go, I'm going to read the Bible in 30 days. Go for it. Right? It'd be great for you if you have three hours a day, right? But if you have 10 or 15, you can get through the whole book this year, right? About five minutes, you'll be through the New Testament in the whole year. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of time. So, so what are you going to do about that? Can I, can I challenge you to consider substituting a sermon or a message for an hour of other stuff, right? Maybe if you've got a commute, rather than listening to talk radio, listen to a message, right? Or if you're working out, exercising or doing work that you can have something going on in the background of your brain, why not put a message in there? Right? Why not, why not have someone teaching you God's word? Right? Just capture that time. Right? And there's lots of ways to do it, but I mean, it's, it's not really intended to be self-promotion, but I mean, we got like 20 years of sermons out of Sermon Audio. If you wanted to listen to sermons on prayer one a week for the year, you could do it just on our website. Go to Sermon Audio, go to January. I've been preaching sermons on prayer and the word for over 20 years that are there. You can, you can just go, go first two Sundays of every year. You can search 2021, January. There they are. Right? So, I mean, it's not hard. Or you can find some better ones out there. Right? But, but the reality is, you know, just, just get your heart being pounded by the truth of God's word. Trust me, you can't listen to it too much. Right? In the scale of what's coming at you every week, none of us in this room are in danger of being out of balance. What we really need to do is put some balance on the other side. So find a way to get under the Word. Hide it in your heart. Tell other people about it, right? Simply as something like, hey, here's what I learned, or here's how I was encouraged, or here's how I'm praying. Right? Wouldn't it be an awesome thing if there was just like an avalanche of communication among our congregation this year of people sharing what they've learned from the Word? Or of saying, hey, listen, I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying. I saw this text in Scripture, right? That's the outward part, right? Just... Just feeding truth to each other. Because that's how we will follow God. Right? Simply follow God's word by putting it into your heart. All we, we tend to want something more. And what we really need is more of this something. Right? Some of you are struggling with things and you want a quick fix. Right? That's, in God's grace, He might solve your problem in a heartbeat. But in reality, James 1 would say, He's actually helping you grow as you patiently work through it. Right? He's forming Christ in you by not eliminating it 
too quickly. He's building you up in it. And so what you need to do is stop looking for easy fixes because in reality, when we're doing that, we're not actually looking for God. Right? We, we, we want something for us rather than we want him. If I, if I have a couple come into my office with marriage issues and the husband is trying to get me to fix the wife and the wife's trying to get me to fix the husband, I know it's going to be a long, long, long and unproductive process because they are, they are looking for a solution with the same selfishness that got them into the problem. They didn't come to me because they want to honor God and have a relationship with God restored. They fix my problem, and she's right there. Fix my problem, and he's right there. And a lot of Christian growth remains stunted precisely because people are viewing God as the one to fix their problem rather than God is the one that they should know and love and worship. And the only way you're going to get that heart changed is if your heart is saturated with this book. Get in the book. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. It is our light and life. It is the bread that we need to be sustained. Help us to love it. Help us to treasure it more than anything else. And we pray that this year would be a year of growth for us. Personally and congregationally, that the fruit of the word would be visible in our lives because the word is is growing deep roots in us. May you be pleased to do this. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.